minorities influenced by repetition. And to keep repeating yourself when you're constantly told that's wrong takes courage or just lack of fear. With anything we sell, you've got to kind of have the emotional intelligence to put your argument forward in, in a way that somebody will understand in their language. That's the art of selling. Hello and welcome to the Media Leader podcast. I'm Omar Oates, editor of The Media Leader, and welcome to a special edition of the show where we're recording live from our event space in Bishopsgate in the city of London, where we've just wrapped our Future of Brands conference. We've had some of the UK's leading CMOs, marketers, media agency specialists, creative strategists, data insight and effectiveness experts on this very stage. And rounding off the day was the keynote interview I did with Sir John Hegarty, a legit legend of advertising and marketing, if there ever was one, who I think told me something was bullshit about seven times in the space of about 45 minutes. Uh, We'll run that on our YouTube channel and this podcast very soon too, don't worry. Uh, Yes, what an incredible day it was. We had over 400 delegates through the doors, standing room only at times as we had three stages of talks, panels and presentations. They even let me give a presentation about the state of media measurements, which was like the TED Talk from hell, but enough about that. Um, I also got to run an invite-only session with brand marketers where we had a candid chat about the key challenges that marketers face in 2023 and what they need to do their jobs better. More than that in the course of this discussion. But to help me unpack what were the key takeaways from the future brands, I've asked a trio of industry guests to help me make sense of it all. We've assembled a media agency boss, or at least one who was up until very recently, a media sales boss and a creative agency expert. So I'm going to introduce one by one and tell me who you are, what you do, and what was your key takeaway from future brands. So Rachel Ford. Up until recently, UK CEO of media agency UM. Hi, how are you? And what was your key takeaway from Future Brands? Well, hi, Omar. Great to be here. Um, yeah, yesterday was, it was a full day. I think um, Sam said there was 81 speakers. I mean, it was a huge, huge day. A lot to take in. I think one of the key things that you hear and you did hear through the whole day was all around brand purpose. And then within brand purpose. Obviously, all brands have sustainability, they have inclusion goals. But actually, it was the chat that um, the panel that Ian Whitaker was on, where it's a bit of an aha, where actually, when we were talking about DE&I, um, he said that actually, it's a very much a focus for the US, whereas in the UK, we're much more around ESG, so environmental, social and, and governance, and of course, what brand doesn't want to be in. But I think... And why is that? What, what accounts for that difference? Well, I know... <laughs> I suppose from a population point of view, um, we also, there was some talk around um, Black Lives Matter, the key part of, um, of of advertising, what we're trying to do there. But I think really what came out was with my ch- um, chat with um, Lydia Amwa from, um, from Backlight, she actually founded the Black Pound Reports. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think what came to light is there is still a huge opportunity, there's a huge business opportunity that's been missed, but actually... She talked about 4.6 billion revenue opportunity that's been missed because actually her study, which was of 3,500 um, Asian um, and multi-ethnic consumers, a quarter of them say that actually advertising doesn't speak to them and they don't feel included. So this big business gap. And actually, if you, anybody's heard Lydia, she's this huge trailblazer in, in, in D&I. And so, it, you know, we've got a lot to do. Um, but when she speaks about it and she speaks very emotionally about why she actually felt she had to do this study was that she was in 
um, out makeup shopping with her mate, um, and her mate was a, a white um, a white woman, and um, she's a black woman. And when she asked about makeup for herself, the the sales assistant said, "Oh, we only do makeup for normal skin." Mm. And it's like, really? Is that so? You know, there's a huge, huge gap in terms of um, how we can actually speak in the right way, but also portray advertising the right way. Is that the sense that you have, having dealt with marketers and clients over the years, that really we've got much more to do in terms of how marketers are representative, not only in terms of how they get the insights for the marketing that they do on behalf of brands, but also within their own organisations, whether they're diverse enough? I think it, I think when you start from that insight, even just start from a research point of view in terms of actually how you how you actually get that insight in there. I think marketers, the other thing we talked about is that don't obviously everybody's also a bit fearful of actually, you know, getting it right, which is why, again, I'm sound like I'm doing a plug for Lydia. She can pay me later, but mm-hmm. her company, Blacklight, does go into organizations. She's helped Channel 4, the IPA, she's helped Procter and Gamble, because I think, yes. We've got represent, you know, we're better at, you know, you talk about diversity. So I think within organisations and clients that, you know, and you can speak a lot on on this, Chloe, but we've got the diversity there. But then how do we make sure that then you've got the the equity and also the inclusion? So I think we're getting there, but there's, there's still a lot to be done. And I think it's don't be fearful, but do make sure that you're getting the right advice, which I suppose is what your role is at Lucky Generals, Chloe. Absolutely. It's about belonging. More than anything else, how do you create a space where people feel like they can belong? I think that's the work, or in my interpretation of the work that we do as marketeers, is to create homes for brands, to create an idea, a community where people feel like they can tap into that brand, they can belong with that brand, they can ride for it, wear the clothes. You know, it it reciprocates. It's that feeling that we have inside our doors as our teams. They're empowered. You know, we're lucky generals, we're generals. We're 115 people. of incredible skills, but in so much, you know, so much talent. I said this all day yesterday. Yes, uh, so so, so that voice you can hear is Chloe Davis, who is Head of Social Impact at the Omnicom ad agency, Lucky Generals. So um, what, before we get into your key takeaway from Mm -hmm. yesterday, um, so you went into it just a bit now, what what does Head of Social Impact (laughs) do as an ad agency? Okay, I didn't know you were going to ask this question. Okay, so my my job's a bit vast. So I look at how we build a truly inclusive culture together with the founders and our two MDs in London, New York, Chris and Holly. Um, I do the so it's social impacts for the ad agency as opposed to educating your clients on Getting social there. media or anything like so that. So internal uh, for our team, external across our entire client footprint. Right. Uh, so from account to account, where are they at in their journey? Do they need a bit of advice? Is there issues deep rooted that we have to look at? Are they building work in purpose? I'll help support all of that. Uh, sustainability. How are they doing? Some are doing great, Virgin Atlantic, I'm very happy. Um, you know, others are getting there. It's all a journey, right? You know, and I think as long as you're trying and you're doing the work, that's what's most important. Um, sustainability. And then I came with a whole host of things from outside. Uh, so I'm head of finance for UK Black Pride. I'm the head of relations for London Queer Fashion Show. I am a trustee for London LGBT Community Centre and ambassador for Mental Health First Aid England. So um, I try to build community into who we are as an ad agency, connect through our people, how can we collaborate with others, um, and then how can we help kind of be the change. So it's massive. 
<laughs> it's massive, um, but you How, can tell I'm very passionate. Presumably, you have time to sleep and kind of I'm have fun. I'm two, too. <laughs> sounds I, like you're doing loads. I'm a therapist, I'll be really honest. <laughs> I, time management will work that out later. Okay. Um, uh, well, well, we, yeah. well, we're very appreciative of your time and thanks oh, for being thank here. So what was, your, what was your key takeaway from yesterday? What did, what did you hear that inspired you or pissed you off or just interested you? Oh, okay. Well, I got to interview Henry Holland, so I'm not going to lie. Yes, was, what did he have to say? Uh, he, you know, he... The House of Holland. House of Holland, a change maker at the age of 22 who disrupted, you know, the fashion industry in a way that they'd never seen it before and went on to have this iconic brand for 15 years. You know, I started in retail and both my parents are fashion designers, so it was a wow. tick box, 40 over 40 dream yesterday. Um, and I think my takeaway was disruption to actually listen to different marketeers, different leaders, the work that they're doing, positively or negatively. I think everyone was trying to disrupt in their own way, in their own space. So, how, so um, I, I didn't actually see that session myself, but how, what, what's his view on marketing? I mean, kind of when we think about consumer marketing, you may be thinking about your consumer packaged goods, your baked beans, your cars, etc. But, you know, how does, how does someone like that from the fashion industry, how do they see marketing? I mean, I don't want to steal from Craig because, you know, in the briefing, I know, I know what he's going to say, but it's authenticity talking and communication, actually working together in collaboration with people, not assuming that we know everything as marketers. What he, sorry to interrupt, yeah. what he really said, which, which chimed with me, and I think is a call to the industry, we talk about Brixton Finishing School and, um, you know, speaker for schools and young talent coming into the industry, how do we make it more accessible and welcoming as yep. I'm stealing from you now, yep. you've talked about being welcoming, yeah. but he talked about it's human nature that the older you get, the more fearful you become because you're, you've had failures and you don't want to go back to that failure that you had that time. Or So at 22, mm -hmm. he, didn't, he wasn't really thinking. He was incredibly passionate about what he was doing. He broke through brick walls and he, people listened to him. They had to listen to him and he built a successful brand and, and business and has continued. Financial education along the journey was really important um, uh, lessons for him, he said. But the, you know, the, the fact that he mentioned the older you get, the more fearful you get because of the experiences you have. That is the reason why we need young talent in the industry, to progress and pioneer. Minorities influenced by repetition. And to keep repeating yourself when you're constantly told that's wrong takes courage or just lack of fear mm. or stupidity or, mm. you know, obliviousness or whatever. But it worked for him. And I think it, it's a call out for us and a reason why we should be getting younger. People um, yeah, and um, yeah. So, hi, Craig. Uh, the voice you can hear is um, Craig Tuck, <laughs> Chief Revenue Officer at Ozone, the online ad sales platform for UK news brands and other publishers. That theme, actually, about courage, um, came up quite a lot, which I wasn't expecting. Um, too much, and whether it was um, John Higgerty talking about marketers needing to be more courageous in terms of creativity and purpose, whether it was in terms of talking about attention and new ways of doing media measurement, it's this increasingly fragmented landscape. Um, actually, marketers having the courage of their convictions in a lot of cases was a key theme for me that came up. Um, but two things I want to talk about in particular, one of which I heard at our brand leaders club at the start of the day. So what we did at the start of the day at Future of Brands was I hosted this invite-only session with CMOs and marketing directors for a friendly, candid chat about what keeps you up at night, what the key challenges you face, and what are your priorities. And what came across was something which I might call the Steve Jobs <laughs> complex, where 
you know, if the ghost of Steve Jobs was looking down on us now, you know, he would say, you don't even need marketing directors. He was that CEO, founder of a company who was also the chief marketing officer, really. And the brand, it was just very clear from the top of the organization what the brand should be doing and how that connected through all of the touch points with the consumer. We had a lot of brand marketers yesterday saying that I still feel in the organization where I'm the person who is just kind of the person that commissions the ads or deals in the media agency. I should be across more touch points in this kind of 360 vision. Um, I was wondering what you guys thought of that. I mean, Rachel, is that your experience when you have dealt with clients and marketers in the past of they maybe feel that they're being kept in their box? Is there a change happening? I do think they do need to be looking across the whole organisation because, as you say, that every single way that a brand comes into um, contact with a consumer, be that the UX, the actual product experience itself, customer service, the whole piece makes up that brand experience. And actually, as a CMO, you're in charge of that entire brand experience. I think through um, what we saw through the pandemic and and the first, if you think about the first recession in 2008, there was a huge thing, you know, everybody's like the IPA and is by everybody's saying about, you know, spend through a recession. And that's what, you know, it was a real bit of a battle uphill. I say the pandemic, I wouldn't put the pandemic in the same thing as, um, as a recession because actually a lot of, you know, a lot of obviously online brands went, went through the roof and actually, and people had nothing else to spend their money on. They couldn't go anywhere. So actually, I think in terms of consumer spending power, it was actually, it, was, it wasn't a recession. It was just a different way of... Well, Amazon actually turned off their marketing, didn't they? Because well, yes, they had a fulfillment to. problem. Yeah. 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 So I think that um, actually at that point, that actually CMOs didn't seem, didn't need to have that same conversation with the CFO around, we need to spend, we need to spend. And actually, what you've seen then coming out of that is actually now into the cost of living crisis and inflation, et cetera, and obviously the, the, the cost of things, a lot of FNCGs, FMCGs, for example, have had to put their costs up because of their supply chain. It's all gone up and they've passed that they've passed that um, hike increase onto the consumer. And the consumer are actually, are actually still buying the products at that inflated rate. So, you know, volume stayed the same and, and value's gone up. And actually, it was another thing that Ian was saying on the panel that I was chairing yesterday, that actually that is the biggest way to prove the reason for that price hike is the power of the brand. So if the marketeer cannot be at the absolute top table, the brand is the entire organisation. So actually, all creators and media should be going back to the CMOs, back to the CFOs saying, that is the reason we spend on brand. And again, the other conversation yesterday is we shouldn't be talking about brand performance. It's all about the performance of the brand. Yeah. It's the whole holistic piece. So actually, yes, CMOs should have that total, total um, bird's eye view across the entire organisation. And they prove their value. Chloe Davies from Loki Generals, have you noticed a change in how marketers see their role or at least want to see their role? <laughs> um, I mean, it's flexibility and adaptation, I would say, in the last two years, because we've really just had to change how we work, whether we've been actually in-house or not. Hybrid working also has such a, an impact. But I absolutely agree with you, Rachel. I mean, it's it's a hard one because actually a CMO to a certain extent is almost like a mini business. It's a lot, you know, it's a lot to know everything that's going on in your business, at least when you're looking at it from an account perspective. How does that then impact your people, the creatives all okay? Um, and how do you actually hold that line for what is the best interest for your business, for your agency, for your organization, knowing then exactly when your touch points for your clients is going to kind of really upscale because we're busy for June 
soon or actually we're getting ready for Christmas. Um, and I think the one thing that I've learned in my time is that, one, we don't talk to each other as much as we should. Communication is our strong point. But also when we're thinking about resource, actually, if we talk to each other, then we could really come together and collaborate and work better and more <coughs> efficiently as a team. And I think that's been the most powerful thing that I've noticed for the last two years is that we've had no choice. When we can't be with together, we've had to really adapt how we've worked, have a bit more respect, value each other's time, and then really put in. So I think the role of the CMO has completely changed in the last three years. I'm and I'm fascinated to know with the pandemic and now hybrid working as we're all doing to an extent nowadays, I'm fascinated to know the agency-client relationship now where I suppose, you know, with your your brand based in a warehouse in Slough or some mm -hmm. lovely part of the country that you might have a quarterly meeting, but now everyone does video calls all the time. Yeah. So do you find that you're just having to talk to clients on a regular basis a lot more? And does that lead to a more effective relationship or is it we've had just a lot more hand-holding? We've had some more honest conversations about the impact of just being virtually on screen all day, not only for ourselves, the team, but for our clients. Uh, but we're hybrid. We're in the office uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And so actually what we've had the ability to do, although sometimes it doesn't always work out, um, is to actually allocate some of our space to our clients to actually have that FaceTime. Um, so we have clients who will come into the office and use the space, whether they're out by Crawley, because that's Virgin Atlantic, or, you know, Carp who are up in Manchester. Um, and so then we get that one-to-one -one interaction. It's a whole day where every single part of the agency that touches through with that client can have that FaceTime, which I think is really important. Human connection actually means we can get more done when we're talking to each other sometimes than kind of that barrier of a screen, which works to a certain extent. But, you know, we are all people facing. That human connection helps make the work even more important. I do, yeah, I do I think, sorry to interrupt, I do think as well, marketing is seen as a function within a business. You know, there's some great sessions yesterday. I will mention L'Oreal and Lex um, talking about how really quite early on in that first wave, as he described it, the digital wave of marketing, L'Oreal made sure they had a, chief digital officer at the top of their business. And I think that's really important to, to have a voice and to be on a level playing field with every, every other function. But then there was a session on data and the value of data and we have all this data and what should we do with it? It's then that person's responsibility to explain the value of all of the data that marketing and comms brings into the business and how that can be used in other areas of the business. So from top to bottom, you've got to have people championing what it is you want to impact. We were talking pre-call. Um, about ozone, can you tell I'm in sales? But we, we launched nearly five years ago now, um, and you're building a brand and you have a massive purpose to kind of effectively save and, and allow published media to stand on its own two feet as a channel. You have new people join as you grow. We've got over 100 people in the business now, and they're all excellent at their function. You know, programmatic, finance, marketing, whatever it might be, customer service and ad operations. And they're excellent and they go off and they run in a million, you know, million different directions. It requires somebody at the top, somebody in the middle, somebody at the bottom, everybody left and right to be reminding people at all times of the purpose and the direction and the actual raison d'etre, the reason you exist, to inform the short-termism and the de de decisions that get made on a short-term basis and make sure we all stay aligned. So I, th I thought it was really interesting how L'Oreal seemed to have taken that really quite seriously. And in terms of media sales, I mean, how helpful is it for you, from your perspective, Craig, for marketers to be more influential than just the person that commissions the ads, deals, deals with the media agency, et cetera? 
I mean, generally, not just for ozone, but everybody, I think it's really important, um, really important. We work with clients where, you know, we'll be speaking with brand managers, we'll be speaking with their agencies, we'll be speaking with activation folks, but we'll also be speaking with their procurement teams and their effectiveness teams. And, you know, they run as a scene throughout all of the marketing across every channel that a brand might be looking to execute. So it's really important that there's a voice and that the effectiveness people, the procurement people, the, the money people within a business can understand the value that marketing comms brings. And I think your point, Rachel, is an excellent one. You know, prices are going to increase. And if you want to, we don't want that normalised, but if it becomes normal that things just cost more money, the brands that people are going to continue paying for, the services that people are going to continue paying for, the, the uptick in prices on Netflix you know, I'm still going to pay for because the brand is so strong. I think a brand does one of two things, doesn't it? It solves problems or entertains, largely. And if they continue doing that really well and the brand is strong enough, then people are going to continue paying the inflationary prices. And I think, therefore, it's really important that marketing has a voice at the very top uh, in any business. Yeah. Um, Well, someone who's... um been an advocate for marketing to be at the top is Sir John Hegarty. So to round off um, the conference yesterday, um, I had a, um, what do I call it? A fireside chat, a sit down, a bun fight with Sir John Hegarty, (laughs) um, who um, set the world to rights in terms of how marketers, in his view, this isn't me, how marketers are boring. Most marketing is boring. There's no point doing purpose, allying with Black Lives Matter or other causes and wider culture because most consumers don't care and are cynical, they see through it. Um, He also pushed back against the idea that it's hard for brands to break through in this increasingly media-fragmented landscape. He said there's never been a better time to launch a brand. It's never been easier to launch a brand. Um, What it's harder to do is have that exciting idea um, that pushes through in all these different channels. So... There's a lot to unpack there. And to help us do it, we also talked a lot about um, AI and the impact on AI and marketing. So I've come up with a game. The game is, did Hegarty say it or did an AI pretending to be Hegarty say okay. it? So, I w- okay. so before this, I went to um, ChatGBT and I said, do some, do some quotes about advertising in the style. So John Hegarty, and I'm going to give you quotes and you're going to have to guess whether Hegarty said it or the AI said it. So, number one, this is for you, Chloe Davis. Oh, God, okay. Did AI say it or did Hegarty say it? Vote the Tories out. That's an easy one. He, no, he he that. <laughs> we might get on to why. No, definitely. Um, he, okay, who said this? The best marketing doesn't feel like marketing at all. It's about telling a story, creating a world that people want to be a part of, and making them feel something. I think it's AI. Because AI would say something like, it is storytelling. He said something similar, says, but I think that yeah. particular phrase, I think, is AI. Yeah, I do. Chloe? had some help from your guests what do you think okay so i'm i but he talked about storytelling yeah, yeah. Mm, I think but not maybe in that tone so actually i'm gonna say AI. you're right yes. sneaky <laughs> chat he said brands that was actually but brands need to behave like movements not people yes yes, yes. indeed yeah. he loved oatly but he hates oat milk yeah yeah, yeah. um so so what do you so what do you, do you think what do you think about that so he he was saying that um for brands to stand out and cut through nowadays yeah. they need to be part of a movement. Now, he made this distinction between being part of causes like Black Lives Matter and other purposeful mm-hmm. things. We've had purpose being used as an almost dirty word in marketing mm-hmm. nowadays. Yeah. I mean, what do you think about that? Um, I think I said 
the whole way through yesterday, language is key and powerful as someone whose role is rooted in purpose. But that's not what I say for an agency that I work for, which was created for people on a mission. We've used these buzzwords for the last 10 years, mission, purpose, you know, drive. The thing that I always say um, that actually DBT, our creative founder, we share together is we are the custodians of people's stories. It is our duty to tell them transparently, authentically and with purpose. So I think I absolutely agree with him. Storytelling is key. But your people are your stories. The people that work in your doors, they all have a story. They all have a mission, all trying to be the change. They add that to your business, add that to your work. For me, that's where I think the driver really come from. It's not demanding that your brands do it. Tap into what your people are doing. And then automatically your brands are going to do it because that's how you move with them. Mm. Rachel, do you think, um, without naming names, or name names if you want, <laughs> you're not a UM anymore. <laughs> um, do you think that brands on the whole have become too mindful of purpose and it's let them get in the way of what actually matters when it comes to marketing to consumers, shifting baked beans, cars, whatever it is? I mean, it was a, it was a point that John Hegarty made. I think he was, it was quite controversial at the beginning, but what he was trying to come back to was that you know, you, it's about authenticity and actually at the end of the day, you're selling a product. So make sure that you've got the damn best, he talked about it, it's about marmalade, like make sure you've got used Seville oranges, make sure that you've got your supply, that you're getting, you know, organic, make sure that you're supplied. I think it, the other thing is about supply chain. You can say what you like on the surface, but like, you know, manage your supply, you know, check your um, supply chain, make sure that you are, um, that you are delivering what you say you do because actually, Consumers are very savvy, so they will see through it. So I think it's about, it goes back to that authenticity piece. Make sure that you're, you're, you're walking the talk, not just talking the talk. And actually, at the end of the day, go back to what your core delivery is. You're either solving a, a need, you know, or entertaining. Be true to who you are as a brand. If you keep to that and tell the right stories, then everything that comes out of that should feel very natural. It should never feel forced. So I think it, do the right thing. It is really, at the end of the day, do the right thing. And, and consumers are incredibly savvy. I would say, though, know what you're talking about. Mm. Yeah. I think sometimes we have the best of intentions. And like you said, for a minute it was controversial. Everyone was like, where is this yeah. going? And then we understood towards the end, but it was the language that was used yeah. and the authority that was then used behind it. Yeah. And I think we're very much in a, we don't know everything. So sometimes we should just not say yeah. when we do. And I think that's also the case of kind of try and get to, to that point more than anything else. It's a conundrum though, isn't it? It wasn't in yesterday's, I read this recently about greenwashing mm. and vir the virtue signaling around d and and all of these initiatives where companies that genuinely have a purpose, companies that genuinely know what they're talking about, have the quality that they talk to having, don't want to talk about it anymore for fear of being found guilty or being accused of greenwashing or, you know, so it's a real conundrum for brands with purpose to, do we talk about it? Do we just focus on being the best that we can be, as John Hegarty was talking about yesterday? It's a predicament for all the brands, I think. Actually, I was reminded that on on the panel that I was on to, around ESG, around rather than talking about it, do the thing. So there's a department store that actually decided in the winter they were going to close their doors to make sure that they weren't obviously heating outdoors. So it's keeping energy costs down and actually then had, you know, told their customers, look, we're keeping the doors closed because we, you know, we, we, we want to be energy um, conservative. So I think it's, a, it's, again, it's like go back to like the, the what's required and, and tell real stories. Don't just pretend you're doing stuff do and do things for the right for the right reason 
Yeah. Okay, round two. Craig, <laughs> would you like to have a go? Oh, <laughs> was it AI or was it Sir John Hegarty? If you surround yourself with people who see problems, you will never see solutions. Surround yourself with people who see opportunity. He did say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah go on. <laughs> he definitely said that. Isn't it Craig? <laughs> Sorry, Craig. No, he did. He did. Yeah, that was John Hegarty. He talked about, um, can I swear? Uh, he did. I, he said, surround yourself with shit. You smell like shit. Read shit. You produce shit. Surround yourself with the right people. Have a filter. Absorb stuff. It, that was a really yeah. quite a, a nice part of the conversation. Yeah. And there was so. two sides to that. It, number one, it was creativity and marketing. Again, this point around inclusivity. Another yeah. quote he says, another quote he said was, advertising is inclusivity because it's about speaking to as many people as possible. And he also said, none of us are as good as all of us, which I really like. Yeah, yeah that was a Nigel Bogle quote. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so two sides to that. Number one, is, is the industry, is, uh, is the marketing community diverse enough to be able to come up with these marketing messages that resonate with enough parts of the UK in order to market effectively. Um, what do you think about that? I don't think it is. I've always had this dream, maybe not to work agency side, but Ooh. that an agency, there's a gap in the market for an agency, a gap in the market for a marketing team, gap in the market for a media owner sales team to be, to be truly representative, if we're just talking about the UK here, to have physical presence in each region of the UK. Mm. And that's difficult logistically, right? But if you're gonna if you're gonna want to talk to or understand or whatever side of the fence you're coming from, folks in Yorkshire or folks in Wolverhampton or folks in Blackpool or wherever it is that you, you know, from Soho, you're pretending that you know inside out and you want to target with an ad campaign. I but think we have YouGov, we have pollsters, we have, you know, is that, is that not? I think why do you have to physically be in Yorkshire or Belfast? I think that well, well, polls and panels, and you know that you know there was talk, there was lots of talk about ad tech companies that purport to have lots of data and be able to model certain behaviours. You know, one being attention. The, they're they're playing a game of diminishing returns. Technically, it's not that possible all of the time to pull all of that together in an accurate fashion with the requisite scale to deploy advertising at scale to appeal to everybody you want to appeal to. And I think because it would be hard is probably the reason there's a gap. But I think if you want to be truly representative of any geo that you purport to understand or to advertise to, inside your business needs to be representative of all, all of that geo, not just a part of it. So I don't think we are there uh, as an industry yet. And I think we did talk about that a bit yesterday, didn't we, in terms of it's just like, how are we attracting people into our industry? And there's a, there's a bit of a grassroots education job to be done. Um, so at UM, we, we have a programme called Future Proof Academy where we'd go into um, secondary schools in less salubrious areas of, of London. I mean, we're in a London bubble then, we're, like we're in a Soho bubble. And you're right, and it's about actually how do we attract. So it's about, so at IPG, we used to have a, a whole three-point plan around um, attraction and then advancement and, and attrition, making sure that once you've got a diverse group in, that then actually the, the key is to make everybody feel included of where they've got an environment where they can thrive. So I do think, though, more and more work needs to be done at that um, attraction level. It's why the Brixton Finishing School is, does a great job, um, Creative Equals, etc. But still, kids in schools don't really know what we do and I think there's and I think actually I think John Hegarty said we need a different government so that's all we need to do vet out the Tories and be fine I think that's um, what he was saying it's a hard no for me um, 
And also, I understood his point, but, you know, we can't wait for a government. We can't, we can't wait. The world outside is so diverse, to your point. Um, wherever I go around the world, I see so, like, especially in the UK, there's so much point of difference of people just walking down the street. But when I go into different ad agencies, I don't see myself reflected in abundance. And what about generations coming through? Is it getting better at the very least? So actually, I wanted to go back to the point when you were saying that Henry made, which was, Henry was a journalist didn't come from fashion, actually had a completely different outside viewpoint and ended up being one of the most groundbreaking fashion designers that this country has ever seen. Um, it's this adaptive thought that the way that we bring people into this industry, the mechanisms that we have in place, they're actually not working. I haven't come from traditional marketing. I've been in every other industry in Cayman. It's diversity of thought. It's actually thinking about where do we take our people from um, and then bringing that in-house, actually collaborating and speaking together and not being afraid. Because the problem that we have is that with the internet and the world outside being so fast that we all get called out far quicker than we can recover. Mm. Um, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago in a campaign ad about Adlan's diversity spends hold the line, like we're going to have to pay for this regardless. Mm. Whether we pay for it now in spending the money to actually recruit and work with partners who are getting it right, or whether we lose our reputations and integrity is very expensive once lost, you cannot get it back. Um, so I think it's kind of stop talking about it and actually do it because there are amazing people, POCC, the work that Kevin and, you know, that the Nena have done is, is amazing. You know, they're working with massive brands like the V&A and Disney. You know, there are so many different people that are doing such dynamic things, of course, ourselves included at Lucky's. Um, we have to kind of pull up and really, really start to do the work. Work with people like Lydia, people like Ali, people like Maria at Lollipop, who are trying to bring in this next generation of change makers. Because as Sir John Hegarty said, I can tomorrow, I can set up my own brand online. I don't need marketing teams to be able to be successful. I can make millions of but the, the point, The point that how, yes, anyone could do that, mm -hmm. but... Very few people do do that because even the ones that do do that, how do you know how to do that? Unless, you know, you can launch a fashion label because... In whose you, opinion? Where do you get the expertise and the connections YouTube, to do that? Instagram. I hear a lot of people, a lot of young people who go into agencies, and this is more on the creative agent side, mm. agency side than the media side, where they kind of come in and they just want to use it to build up connections and ultimately they just want to go off and do their own thing. Not in my agency. I, it's this, it scares me. I have 115 people, you know, they come into Lucky's and Helen, Danny and Andy encourage you to be entrepreneurial. I have people that have their own fashion houses. I have people that have their own production companies. They all choose to lend their skills to Lucky's, but outside they are thriving. They don't come here to just network. They come here to be successful. And this is replicated in every single agency in this country. But I don't need you to talk to me in an agency because with the internet, YouTube, Instagram, tutorials, there are people whose whole careers are teaching other people how to do what we do for themselves. It, it, and I don't have to pay for it. Mm. So 
if you're not tapped into the rhythm of what's going on outside, and this is what I'm saying, we'll miss out. We, we to a lot of our extent, are in an echo chamber. We're talking to ourselves. We think that we don't know. We don't actually get onto the ground with everybody else who's doing it in real time and use their expertise, their knowledge at all ages. You know, the young generation, but also our older generation who stepped out for a minute to raise families, you know, do what they need to do, and then are coming back back with so much enthusiasm and ready to go like we can learn from everybody mm. but we have to stop telling ourselves that we know everything and that it doesn't exist yeah. because that's why we have movements like me too we have movements like the re-emergence of black lives matter not because we didn't exist we never had a voice we were never heard before mm. and now we refuse to be quiet that's the difference and so if we don't tap into that I am all of those people, but I'm in-house and I'm in an agency and I, I divert my energies into that. Our next generation of Gen Z, they are unapologetic. They will demand and we have to catch up. Yeah. So, Craig, so Clay makes a really interesting point about how the landscape has changed. Um, but also alongside that, um, we got into a bit of the discussion with Sir John yesterday um, about selling. Just um, someone, um, I can't remember who it was, asked a very good question about, you know, if you're in an agency, just being able to sell, whether you're a creative or a strategy, you still ultimately need to sell stuff to clients. Mm. Now, you, you know a thing or two a bit about sales. Do you, do you think generally the industry has maybe lost the art of being able to sell well? Maybe that's why we're not getting so many great I think, ideas. I think because of the innovation, because how... Uh, probably how easy it is technically to set something up. I think some folks, you know, Lex talked about marketing being art and science. I think sales is, if done correctly. And I think there's a lot of, okay, well, I'm just part of a sales team and we've got this great product and you should buy it. And, and it should speak for itself. But it doesn't really, what we find is it really, people really matter and the skill of selling really matters. And selling is often seen as a bad word, but it's not really, it's just about, if you first you've got to believe in your proposition and the proposition's got to bring something of value but then you've just got to not obsess about selling if that sounds uh, it's a bit ironic not obsess about selling just obsess about illustrating the value of what it is that you have brings that person i think we do that in our personal lives right? if you're in a i don't go to nightclubs anymore but if you're in a nightclub and you've got six of your mates and everybody is just kind of sitting around and dancing or whatever and you fancy going somewhere else, the next venue down the road or something, you're going to sell that in if you really want to go and you think it's going to provide value to the group. Because that's how you learn everything you know. Spend time selling it in. <laughs> I've, I've spent time selling things into the wife. You know, we're like, we, do, we do that in personal life as well. And we should just obsess about the process and enjoy the process and understand that if we've got facts and figures and, and we can illustrate clearly the value exchange, then it does sell itself. But there's a skill in that. And, and I think the, honestly... And I'm not one of the best either. Our industry is full of great salespeople. But to a man and woman, they are the people that illustrate the value of what it is they have to bring to whoever they're trying to sell to. And they're just really excellent at that. And I think as an industry, we're losing sight of the fact that this is much about being an art form as it is about being scientific. Lots of people just say, well, I work for Meta. Surely you would work with Facebook. And this is outrageous. And I'm going to go speak to your client then if you don't agree with me. I don't think, I think there's any, any place for that. I think we've got to get back to, you know, if you don't bring value, th either think about whether you're in the right place or think about how you bring value. Mm. Rachel, and then final focus, word, focus final on the daily insights to do. Do we need to, does the, does the industry for better, to create better marketing, 
Do we need the industry to be more creative or better at selling? I think we need to have be creative. I think when he talked about being exciting, it's like this, he said, don't talk about risk. No, no clients want to be risky, but they want to be exciting. And he did talk about the art of selling is actually putting something in their language. That came up on yeah. my panel in terms of if it's a CMO, you can put it into the CFO's language, you will sell it in. With anything we sell, you've got to kind of have the emotional intelligence to put your argument forward in, in a way that somebody will understand in their language. That's the art of selling. Thank you so much. We've unfortunately run out of time. Thank you to um, the audience that we have. Uh, but, oh, thank you very much. We've been very quiet up until now. Um, thank you so, so much to our illustrious panel. Really appreciate that. Um, if you're interested in The Media Leader, please do subscribe and spread the word about The Media Leader podcast. And of course, we have a daily newsletter full of news, analysis, features, and opinion pieces about what's really going on in the UK media industry. And you, of course, follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at The Media Leader. And of course, thanks so much to our production partners, Trisonic, who are going to edit out all the swear words or maybe put in some swear words uh, we'll see um, thank you very much catch you next time bye 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 thank you thanks so much bye